Today's scripture reading is found in Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 18 through 38. Please turn with me in your Bibles to the text. And when you found your place, please stand for the reading of God's word. The scripture will also be located on the screen behind me. Acts chapter 20, verses 18 through 38. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years, I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Thanks, Audrey. You can be seated. So if you're new, this is what we do at the Parks Church. We preach through books of the Bible, and we are making our way through Acts, and we finish up Acts chapter 20. Again, we've spent now uh, two weeks here in Acts chapter 20, so we're going to kind of re- re-hit some of the things that we weren't able to unpack in depth uh, last week. But uh, just way as introduction to what's taking place with what Audrey just read is it's known as Paul's farewell speech. And it's called the farewell speech because he's talking, uh, by and large, to the uh, Ephesian elders, the leaders of the church there in Ephesus, that he has poured himself into uh, for nearly three years. And he's leaving with them um, in this speech 
uh, the things that he has longed for them to see in his life day after day after day. The things he has hoped have been displayed in his practice, in his ministry, in the way that he's lived his life, in the way he's conducted his life. He's now just laying it out there before him in this speech. Interestingly, in Acts, this is the longest speech recorded to believers. Okay, Every other speech, every other sermon that's recorded in Acts is to non-believers. But this is to, obviously, a group of, of Ephesian elders and in the churches there and the people who make up that church as well. And I think this is of critical importance for us to understand what Paul is actually saying in this speech. Because the Holy Spirit wants to illuminate uh, how we as believers should think about our lives. And so we're going to unpack this. So if you have your Bible, you want to leave it open. We're going to go verse by verse through this. We're going to hit a lot of things about what Paul actually highlighted in this. What did he actually say? Listen, this is what's true of me and what I pray is true of you, Ephesian elders. And what he would, might say to us is true of you, Park Church, true of you, disciple. I long for this to be true as you've seen it true of my life. And so I think there are five values. I think there are five things here in his speech that, that we'll, we'll, we'll unpack. And the first we talked about a little bit last week is found in verse 19. The first value Paul, I think, would say is this, is that I, I directed people's attention toward Jesus and not toward me. Paul's life, the way that he lived it each and every day, the ministry that he endeavored here with the Ephesian elders, and one of the things he wants to lay out before them and thus us is this, that I directed people's attention to Jesus and not me. Look at verse 19. What does he say? He says, serving the Lord, how? With all humility and with tears and with trials. So here's how I serve the Lord, with humility. Now, what's interesting about the word humility is that it's often translated weakness. The word weakness. And it was almost always considered an insult. So you look at any other literature, you look at any other writing, it was used as an insult. I mean, it meant low, it meant defeated, it meant weak. But this word is used nearly 200 times in your Bible. 200 times. And almost always, it's presented as a virtue. You know what a virtue is? It's something that you should seek after. It's something good. It's something that is, that is right. And Paul says this humility that's often translated as weakness, actually in the life of a Christian, is actually a good thing. It's something that should be sought. Why does he do this? Why does he take a normally intended insult and turn it into a virtue? Here's why. Because Paul understands Christianity. Paul understands being a true disciple of Christ at its core is not about extraordinary men and women of great power. It's about a great savior who can save and then use the weakest, most broken and most guilty sinners for his glory. Right. That's what Paul says later in his letters. He goes, you want to know who the chief sinner is? It's me. And if God can use me for his glory, he can use anyone. You see, Paul doesn't want to leave them, the Ephesian elders or with us, with an example to merely admire in him. But he wants to leave them and us with a savior to trust in. And that weakness and trials and tears are how God often demonstrates the sufficiency of that savior. Do you believe that? Paul, how, how did he serve? With humility? But he also adds a couple more, right? With tears? With trials? And we know that. We've been through 20 chapters in Acts. We've seen that out of Paul, right? imprisonment, beating, all of these struggles, the rejection of Paul himself, personally, in ministry, all those things. What do trials and struggles and suffering do in the life of a believer? Think about it. 
What have they done in your life? I was meeting with a gentleman this week who were walking through our elder development process. And we ask every, every, every guy who, who, who we're walking through this process with, we say, tell me about a time where you had to suffer. Tell me about a time in your life where you were broken. And here, without a doubt, what happens is men begin to tell these stories. Is they begin to tell and share about how clear the Lord became. How much more vivid they saw the hand and power of Christ. Never once in asking that question have I heard anyone ever say, and then I made it because I fill in the blank. Because I figured out a way to solve that. Because I, you know, had enough money in the bank. No, 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 no. It was that I fell at the feet of Christ and he was sufficient. That's what Paul's saying here. You know that, right? That that's where humility drives us. Humility drives us to see the sufficiency of Christ. That suffering drives us to see the sufficiency and power of Christ. That's why James, right? The half-brother of Jesus. James chapter 1. You know that famous verse? Count it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you face what? Trials. 9 a.m. didn't know that one, by the way. Yeah, so well done, 1045. Trials and tribulations of all kinds. Why? 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 You got to know the rest of the verse. Because it produces in you steadfastness and perseverance. There is something that happens in suffering and trials, and Paul says it, in tears, that would not occur otherwise in terms of your relationship with Christ and seeing him fully for who he is. And some of you, you're nodding your head because I know you're walking through that right now. And the closeness and nearness and power of Jesus is on display. And so Paul goes, listen, you don't, you don't go searching for those moments, but you welcome them so that God might display who he truly is. And Paul goes, that's how I've endeavored to live my life. Not with me on display or my power, but Jesus on display. You see, you've been broken. We've been broken and weakened. 2020, maybe even just specifically this year, is an opportunity for us to testify not to our strength, but the strength of a Savior. Second thing Paul would share with us in this speech as he said, I made sure my generation knew the truth. That's verse 20 and verse 26 and verse 27. Where he says, here's my whole goal, guys. Ephesian elders, if I've not made anything clear, let me make it clear now. My one goal in life is that I am a messenger of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That I am to herald that message and that message alone. And I will not shrink back from declaring to you the what? The whole counsel of God's word. The whole counsel. Some of you wonder, like, why do we teach the way that we do here? Why do we walk through books of the Bible? Why do we expository teaching? That's why. We don't ever want to be indicted of shrinking back from the Word of God, picking and choosing, highlighting things, because here's the reality. If we do that, if we, if we shift to something else, guess what? If I get to choose, I'm going to choose the things that are easy for me. Right? You would too. Okay, don't look at me so judgmentally, all right? You would pick the same things. But when we walk through God's word, we are confronted with realities that smack me and smack us in the face. And we've got to come toe to toe, face to face with them and go, my life doesn't line up with that. My words don't line up with that. And Paul goes, I didn't shrink back to declare to this generation the word of God. You know, that's the same call for us as disciples. That we'd not shrink back from declaring the truth. And Paul uses such strong language and If you have it, pull up verse 26 and 27. This is how strong of language he uses. 
Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. What? So for Paul, two things I think are going on here. One, he's going, listen, this message of the gospel is a message of life and death. That's how serious I take it. And two, I think what's being thrown around in his mind and his heart is the Old Testament passage in Ezekiel. Listen to these words, right? Old Testament prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel 33 verse 8 says this. Listen to these words. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way, that wicked person shall die in his iniquity. But his blood will require, well, I will require at whose hand? Your hand. So essentially what Paul's saying and what Ezekiel is saying is this. If you know the gospel, if you have been transformed by it, it has changed your life, it has wrecked your life, yet you sit on that truth. You do not declare it with your lips or with your life. Guess whose blood, guess where their, their blood is, whose hands it's on? Yours. And Paul goes, listen, I have declared it without shying away from it, without shrinking back. I have declared it. There is no blood on my hands. I'm not guilty of that. Listen, I believe it is sinful and it is disobedient for us as believers in Jesus Christ to confess his great grace and his great mercy in our lives. Yet be silent with our lips as messengers, as disciples, not just with our lips, but also with our lives. You see, the gospel is the announcement That the human race stands underneath the judgment of God because of our sin. You know that, right? Because of our rebellion, God has every right to judge us accordingly. And it starts with bad news, the very bad news that we are dead in our sin. But it's quickly followed up with the good news of Christ, right? His first advent comes so that we can have fellowship, we can have a relationship with God. That he comes to save us from our sin, That is the message of the gospel, that Jesus lived the perfect life we should have lived, that we never could, and he died the sinless death that we were due. That's the gospel. And Paul says, I herald that. Now, here's where I want you to hear. Paul never once talks about the reception or the outcome of the gospel. He just says, I proclaim it, I share it, and I live it. But the reception, the outcome of the gospel... That's the Spirit's work. Church, the Spirit is the one who draws men and women and children to Jesus. We, though, must be faithful heralds of the gospel. You see, does your community know the truth? Like the people that you're around constantly. In your school, in your workplace, in your home, in your family. Have you made it clear to everyone in in your life that which we, you have been saved by. Have, have, have they, have you, have you felt the weight? Look at verse 31. He, he, Paul says, for three years I admonished you in tears. The gospel, the good news. See there, I was reading uh, this week, um, and maybe some of our new California friends who have just moved to Texas, welcome, um, can help me with this. There's a museum out there in California um, and it's this Queen Mary ship, this huge ship. And it was this uh, uh, luxury cruise liner back in the day. And uh, yeah, you get some of the cavalry nodding their heads, right? And uh, it's a museum now. And half the ship um, was restored back to its luxury state where it was just like this premier, like every, everything you'd ever want is there, right? 
And then on the other side, um, it's, it's a battleship. During World War II, it was commandeered, you know? So it was this luxury liner, you know, the wealthy, the affluent, they could have and enjoy. And then it was commandeered and it was used as a battleship. And so it went from housing 3,000 people in this luxury cruise liner to then housing 15,000 soldiers back and forth and transporting them. And you say, well, Kyle, what does this tangent of a story have to do with this? I think oftentimes, um, as we think about the church, especially in the West, it has become a luxury cruise liner for Christians. We just get on, we get in our nice robes, slip into our warm, snuggly slippers, check our kids in. That's not how the church was designed to be. The church is a place for the lost, the broken, the hurting, the confused, right? To which Paul would go, I'm the chief of those. To which I would raise my hand and go, that's what I need. I don't need a luxury cruise liner. I need a battleship who will come in and who, with the Spirit of God, who will help me heal, who will help me see rightly, who will help me see Christ more vividly, and then deploy me out. The church is never meant to be a luxury cruise liner, right? What do you have here? What do you have over there? I'll take some of this. I'll take some of that. No, it is meant to be a battleship. You want to know the differences? The difference is the difference between wartime and peacetime. And Paul over and over and over, even his urging here in his farewell address is this. Christian, it's wartime. It's wartime until the second advent where all oppression is gone, where all sickness and all, all, all disease is gone, where all hurting and pain is gone. But until then, Christian, put on the armor of God. Oh, we've made that some little cute child story about the hell. No, no, that's like battle up. Church, gird your loins. It's wartime. Okay? That's what he's saying. But instead, this vessel has turned into, I'm not saying particularly this one, but sometimes this one is just something that's consumed. God, help us to be a place welcoming those people who are far off, welcoming those people who are hurting, bringing in the broken, admitting that we're messed up, admitting that we're broken, admitting that we're struggling so that we might find healing and peace that comes from the spirit of the living God. Speaking of the church, I think this is the third thing. Verse 28, Paul says, listen, I've invested deeply into God's community of the church. He says, listen, I've endeavored that the truth go out from this generation, from me to this generation. They know the truth. But Paul says, I have invested myself into the church. Paul would go, there's one institution that Jesus died for. There's one body his life was given to create. Do you know what that is? That is the church. Of Jesus Christ. There's one institution that Paul, uh, excuse me, that Jesus looks at Peter and he goes, Listen, I'm building my church upon you, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That is the church. That is, that is his bride. And so Paul says, Listen, if Jesus poured out his blood for the church, I'm going to pour my life into it. You see, some of you, you're frustrated with the church. You're frustrated with the church. And somewhat I understand your frustration. But your frustration comes from a place, not like Paul, right? I'm sure Paul had frustrations with the people got, right? We're all messed up. We all, yeah, I get that. But your frustration is found because you're not fully committed to the bride of Christ. 
Maybe you say, I'm committed to Christ. Christ is your Savior. Yes, all those things. But in terms of being fully committed to a group of people doing life with you, you're not in. And I'm telling you, until you pour your life in at that level, there will always be this level of angst and frustration. Right? And I'm not saying that that necessarily is here. For some of you, yes. For a lot of you, maybe, yes, it is here. But it's somewhere. It's some place where you can live shoulder to shoulder, eye to eye, heart to heart with people who understand what time it is, right? That we are in this together, that it is wartime, that we are to pursue Jesus and make disciples. Fourth, Paul would say, I have been faithful to do all that Jesus told me to do. Verse 24. That's where you see that in verse 24. I've been faithful to do all that Jesus told me to do. He uses phrases like, my assignment. I fulfilled. Those aren't his power, his strength. He's going, no, this is what Jesus asked of me, and I'm going to do it. This is what he called me to do, and I'm doing it. Hear me. The Lord has clearly given us all the same commandment. Go and make disciples, correct? Like, no arguing there. Matthew 28, go read it. However... The execution and fulfillment in spheres and different places of that assignment are going to be different for each one of us. You know that, right? And that it takes us surrendering and submitting before the Spirit of God to go, Okay, Lord, how are you asking me to do that? Where and what spheres and what places have you put me to see that mission accomplished in my life? Listen, God doesn't give the same assignment to everyone, but he has given everyone an assignment. For some of you, it's in a classroom. For some of you, it's in a cubicle at at, at engineering. It's in the education field or medical space or law or home or wherever it is. God has placed you sovereignly there to fulfill his will in your life. Another word for this might be the word steward. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 2. He says, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. Leave that up. So um, a steward in those days, another word for that is servant, all right? A steward wasn't responsible to provide the house. You know that? They were responsible to take care of what the master said and what the master gave them. You see, a lot of us, myself included, we spend a lot of time thinking about how successful we are or aren't how much impact we make or we don't make, how much ministry is getting done. You see, this week I was talking with my wife about that, and I was just going, that's not the concern of a steward. You see, the words like success and failure and impact, those are outcome words. You know that, right? Those are our words of the master. Those are the words of the owner. What is the concern of a steward? Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Are you being faithful to what God has called you and where God has placed you? You see, what we find in Scripture is that God uses ordinary acts of faithfulness to accomplish his most extraordinary things. It's faithfully parenting your child. Right? Like, I mean, like there's, not much, there's not much glory in that. Right? When you're getting spit up on, you're changing nasty diapers, right? You're not seeing much fruit from that. What does God tell you to do? Continue. Continue to faithfully parent them with a grace, with a love, with a patience, like I'm preaching to myself here. And I'm going to trust the outcome to Him. 
to faithfully telling others about Christ, faithfully praying, faithfully serving, faithfully giving. All of these ordinary acts of faithfulness, God yields his most extraordinary fruit. But you have to hear this. God yields it. God's the one who does it. He's the one who saves. He's the one who gives fruit. And finally, and I find it so interesting that the, this is Paul's final words in verse 35. He says, In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said. So Paul's last words in this farewell speech aren't even his. Like if you have a red letter Bible, mine are red. Paul's last words are Christ's. Accident? No way. The last thing he wants to leave them with are the words of Christ. And not just any words of Christ, but these words. That it is more blessed to give than to receive. And you thought this wasn't a Christmas message. See? See? It's all tying in here. That's about as Christmas as it gets, by the way. You see, why would Paul end like this? This, this message to these elders, this message to these church leaders, this message to even us this morning, why would it end there? It ends there because this idea of sacrifice, this idea of giving and not receiving has been the defining characteristic of our Savior's life. That Jesus' whole life was, could be summed up in that phrase. That his whole life has been defined by giving and not receiving when he deserved everything in the world that he created to be laid at his feet. He gave it all up. That even on the night before he died, what did he do? He knows that the cross is before him. He knows that he'll be pinned to that tree. That famous scene, right? He's stooping low. And washing his disciples' feet. Even Judas, the one who would betray him, he is demonstrating this fact. He's demonstrating this verse. I, I love that Christ, he never calls us to go anywhere where he hasn't went a thousand times more. He's not just throwing out there, yeah, it's more blessed to give than to receive. No, he's going, I'm going to embody what this looks like. I'm going to show you what it means to truly give everything. I'm going to show you what it truly means to give yourself. How does this look like in your life? Is there more giving than receiving? In your marriage, do you serve your spouse more than you expect them to serve you? Whose preferences do you think about more? Whose comfort and happiness are you devoted to? In your relationships, does, does this mark your relational life with friendships, kids, students, with your parents? Is this true even of, of, of that relationship? How about in your career? Do you look at your career primarily as a tool to get all you can? You see, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And this week, it's very, very fitting, right, that we'd have this text. Where we're going to see these flashes, right, and the joy that we have as parents to give our kids gifts or to share gifts one another and, and the gift of receiving. And I pray, I pray that your mind and your heart are even kicked 
back to this text and these words from Christ that Paul is using. He's using them here in this last moment because I think he's highlighting one of the most important questions in the life of a disciple. Maybe in life in general. And it's this question. Do you believe the life you have has been earned by you are given to you. Think about that. Do you believe that the life you have has been earned by you or given to you? He said, oh, get given to me, my grace and mercy. Would your life testify to that? Or are you busy taking, consuming, receiving? See, I know how Paul's life will end. It will end in the form and fashion of him laying down his life for his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But that end, that end is not disconnected from the hole that's been there. That every day in Paul's life was him laying down his life because he knew that the life he had was not earned or given to him by him. It was given to him through the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. You see, as a disciple, until we get to that place, until we get to the place where we will honestly answer that question to say, the life I have been given is not mine. It's not earned. It's not owed. It's freely given. And thus, I'm not holding on to it. So I'll give and I'll give and I'll give. And I think what the scriptures echo there is saying, then you know what it means to live. Then you know what it means to live the blessed life, the life that's flourishing, the life that has meaning and purpose because your life isn't yours. It's his. Let's pray. Father, more than anything in this world or in this life, we want to know Jesus. We want to know his saving power and his grace and his mercy brand new today. We want to know as a community how to live for him, how to protect how to guard, how to serve, how to care for one another, how to bind up the broken, how to strengthen the weary and weak, how to speak for the vulnerable, how to admonish the wayward, God, but apart from your spirit moving, those things are impossible. God, our best attempts are futile apart from you. And so, Lord, I pray this morning, and maybe even uniquely in this final week of Christmas and Advent, Jesus, that you might draw near to the faint-hearted, you might draw near to those of us who are just weary and tired and fatigued. 
you might prepare us for the things you're longing to do. For those of us who are suffering, those of us who are walking through trials, may we continue to see you vividly and clearly. For those of us who simply have uncertainty ahead, may our certainty be rooted in Christ. Lord, you're the only one who calms the anxious hearts. You're the only one who knows our minds and our hearts better than ourselves. That when we, the thoughts that we have lying in bed, the things that make our minds race. So Lord, we cast those cares to you this morning. And we ask that you would move in power and in might. Let us as a community drop the facade, the pretending, the pretense. And let us actively live lives that are giving, that are laid down for one another, but most of all for you. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for this community of faith and the journey that you have us on. May we glorify you above all else in all that we say, all that we do, as we go from here this week. Make Jesus vivid to us. We love you. It's in his name we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.